Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Swinney, along with my co-host, Bonnie Quinn. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and on Bloomberg.com. Let's bring in Chris Lowe, Chief Economist at FHN Financial. A lot to talk about, Chris, one of the most expert forecasters when it comes to the labour market. But Chris, I hope you don't mind me jumping first into the President's diagnosis. Now, the market gapped lower at the open, but we have been recovering ever since. The S&P down now just seven-tenths of one percent. What does this change in terms of calculations for traders? Essentially, there are just three outcomes, right? The president wins the election, the president loses the election, or at some point between now and then he becomes incapacitated for a time. Well, that's right. Good morning, Fani. Uh, I, I think what we're hearing on the trading floor this morning anyway is most people were already thinking Biden most likely wins this election. And that for that reason... From an economic standpoint, from a political standpoint, maybe what matters is the president's inability to campaign in the last month before the election, and as a result, a more decisive Biden win. And that has market implications, because a more decisive win means a bigger chance of flipping the Senate. Uh, giving uh, the, the the new president a bigger mandate and uh, e- easier to get his policies through and uh, therefore resulting in a, a more aggressive domestic agenda. All right. So, Chris, I guess the question really goes to the Senate, as you suggested here. What Do you, do you think the market needs to be concerned about uh, – a Democratic White House and Senate as it relates to taxes, regulation, trade, those issues. How do you think the market's kind of thinking about that right now? Well, I'd say it's complicated. Uh, And and the reason I say that is, look, if, if, uh, if Joe Biden gets everything he's proposed in terms of taxes and spending, it's net positive for the economy. Uh, It is Certainly uh, a significant redistribution, however, um, and, and given that equity holders have big capital gains and uh, tend to be high income individuals, I, I suspect many of them think it would be negative for them. Um, that said, uh, I, I think that we've already seen a rotation. We've seen people taking profits just in case uh, in the past month or so. Uh, and I, I would caution anyone who's thinking about making a trade based on the outcome of the election, uh, regardless of who wins, the stock market always does well in the first year. Uh, th- there is often a correction in the first weeks after an election, but you know the, the, the public tends to believe that uh, – that the uh, new administration's policies will be ultimately beneficial. And uh, as a result, the market does tend to trade higher in the first year. It's fascinating, Chris, you know, the things that we've been waiting for, like, for example, more stimulus, this jobs report only makes that more urgent. Is, Is that a correct statement? Uh, I think so. Although, Bonnie, I, I would argue this was actually a stronger than expected report, given that 
private payrolls were up 877,000. There was 142,000 upward revision. The unemployment rate unexpectedly falling to 7.9%. And the only reason the headline missed was because uh, local teacher employment was not up enough in September to overcome the seasonal factor. So on a seasonally adjusted basis, it's reported down 230,000. But if you have teachers in your family, I've, I've got a couple of sisters who teach public school, you know they, they went back early this year. Uh, they went back because they had to figure out how they were going to teach, and then they had to be trained so they could teach. And uh, th- those teacher numbers were huge in July and August. Uh, compared to a year ago, teacher employment is, is little changed. Chris, how do you think about the uh, employment structure in this country here before uh, the pandemic where, you know, historically low uh, unemployment, I think 3.6% or something along those lines here. How do you think it, the unemployment situation is going to look over the next couple, three years? Is there some permanent or semi-permanent change resulting from this pandemic, do you think? I, I worry that is definitely a possibility. I, I, you know, I think it's really interesting. Economists are talking about this dichotomy between a V-shaped recovery and a K-shaped recovery. Mm. K-shaped suggesting that people are being left behind, even as others prosper. Uh, I think it's important to realize these are not mutually exclusive. The economy is, in fact, roaring back faster than expected, and yet people are being left behind. And for that reason, I think, uh, you know, the thing I was most encouraged by in the report this morning was that the African-American unemployment rate fell nine-tenths of a percent. Um, And then the unemployment rate among those with less than high school education, so the sort of least skilled workers in the workforce, that unemployment rate fell by two full percentage points. So it, it, it does suggest in September at least that some of the less advantaged communities in the U.S. made outsized gains, which is encouraging. What about women? We're seeing sort of reports that women fared very badly in this particular jobs report. Have you had a chance to look through that data, Chris? That's that's right, Vani, and that is a trend that goes all the way back to the beginning of this pandemic with the March numbers. Uh, it's you know it, I think it look it, it's one of the reasons New York City, for example, was so late to go back to restaurant dining. That this sort of realization that uh, that a lot of uh, New Yorkers rely on school for uh, child care that without in school education, uh, two income families are going to have to make a decision about who works and who stays home. And with uh, a, a, an outsized number of families, uh, it is women's employment that suffered as a result. And that continued in September. So Chris, you know, we, we look at the economic data and it's, it's, it's certainly showing an improvement, whether you're looking at the housing data, you get some decent manufacturing uh, numbers come through this week. Uh, we are adding jobs maybe at a slower pace than would, we would like to see, but we are adding jobs back. Um, I guess the question is, what does it mean if I'm sitting in Washington, D.C., how do you think the folks in Congress are trying to digest uh, this data as it relates to fiscal stimulus? That, that is a fantastic question. And I, I think 
for perspective, it's it's really important to hold the third quarter gains up against the second quarter losses. Um, we we are recovering quickly. We're looking at something like 20% growth in this quarter. And one way you see that in this report is uh, aggregate hours worked, which uh, which rose by uh, well a little more than 20%. But but at the same time, they fell by a little more than 40% in the second quarter. So there's we're climbing out of a really deep hole. And the biggest gains were made all the way back in May and June. We're, we're climbing at a decelerating pace as we go into the fourth quarter. I, I would argue that uh, it is absolutely reckless not to have at least a skinny pandemic aid bill. But to do no bill at all is is reckless. And, uh, you know, this, this is another reason I am worried by the increasing chaos in Washington with the president testing COVID positive, because it's just it's, it's one more uh, reason to think that uh, we, we may not get a bill because we're, we're not going to get the kind of work from both sides that we need to reach compromise. Chris, just explain to us how we should read 837,000 people filing jobless claims for the first time. That was the data we got yesterday with 661,000 jobs created in the non-farm payrolls report. How are they correlated? Yeah, uh, you know, normally if if you see outsized uh, initial claims, uh, you would expect a drop in employment. And of course, we've we've had employment growth since the May report. my sense is that the unemployment insurance system is still broken, that uh, states are struggling to keep people on the rolls. They are still falling off, and they have to refile. Uh, on top of that, it's, it's really hard to square the uh, 10 million or so that show up as unemployed in the unemployment report with the 26 million who received unemployment benefits of one kind or another two weeks ago. Um, I I, I do at times wonder if the uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics has actually captured the full extent of the damage from the lockdowns uh, and the damage that continues in the economy now. Hey, Chris, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate your thoughts and perspective. Chris Lowe, Chief Economist at FHN Financial. So much news to process on this busy Friday morning. We have the president and his diagnosis of COVID-19. Also have a busy jobs data day today. U.S. jobs, they rise less than forecast as the economic rebound kind of downshifts here, I guess is a way to say it, here in the U.S. economy. To get the latest on the jobs market, we turn once again to Tom Gimble. He's a founder and CEO of LaSalle Network. Founded in 1998, LaSalle Network is one of the leading staffing and recruiting firms in the country. So Tom really has his finger on the pulse of hiring. Tom, thanks so much for joining us here. What are your takeaways from the jobs data that we got this morning? I mean, it's it's good signs. Everybody wants it to always be record-setting months. But we added jobs, unemployment dropped. Those are positive signs. Uh, it's It's what should have happened uh, as the weather's still warm. You know, as I've been saying with you guys for a few months now, 
we'll really get an accurate reading on, on how things can stand up when the weather changes. Because what really got hit in end of March, April, and May was the hospitality and restaurant sector. That's where so many of the layoffs and the unemployed numbers came from. And with the summer and warm weather, it came back. So we'll see what happens north of the Mason-Dixon line when it gets cold again. It seems like manufacturing jobs didn't you know, show as much progress this month as other months or a construction either. Why is that? Is there a shortage or have developers just stopped being able to find land? Well, I think what you got on the, on the manufacturing is on the consumer side, there isn't the surplus of buying that was happening in June, July, and August uh, as people were, were in more of a lockdown mode. People feel more comfortable going out. They understand if you wear a mask. So it's, people aren't buying in bulk as much. So on, the, on that side of the manufacturing, what we're seeing in corporate America and on real estate is people are waiting to see how things shake out, number one, with the election, and number two, is there going to be a number, another stimulus package? And if so, how much? And will that go through corporate America, or will that go to the individual citizens, and what people will do with that money? So I think, again, I, I don't mean to always, only be pushing the ball forward. However, um, we've got to wait and see what happens with this stimulus and uh, with the election to see how corporations react. So, Tom, we've had a lot of high-profile companies uh, announce layoffs really just in the last week or so, it seems, the airlines, uh, some of the financial institutions, uh, the Walt Disney Company, 28,000 employees. Um, how should we think about that as opposed to kind of what we saw in March, April, and May, which is some smaller businesses, restaurants, and th- things like that? Well, the good news is we know it's directly related to the virus and to traveling not happening. So there isn't a a wondering what the cause is to this effect. So whether it's a vaccine or or, um, a treatment for for the virus that comes out, that as soon as that happens, God willing, is that we will we will see that pick up very very quickly and that's more of that v recovery of when we get a cure or a treatment that works on everybody you'll see that bounce back um you know the disney world stuff is very basic and obvious what's interesting to track for for our economy here is what's going on in other countries and are we seeing spikes globally versus just in uh north america what were some of your clients telling you? Can you give us an idea of how they're feeling, who they're looking for, that kind of thing? Sure. So what we've seen is our temporary staffing numbers. We do all white-collar staffing, and then we have uh, search practice, permanent search practice. Our temporary staffing numbers are at pre-COVID levels. So now we've got companies that are hiring and bringing people back. So the question is, why temporarily? And the answer is, it's a leading indicator that they're optimistic, but they're still unsure based on the election to do full permanent placement. Now, simultaneously, we're at about 90% of our, of our search practice of what it was pre-COVID. So that's very healthy, too. Um, so our, our clients have said, I've, I, got, I held a, uh, a CEO roundtable yesterday, and people were very bullish. They were, they were moving forward with plans. They were hiring. The one thing they're not doing is signing real estate leases. And, and that is still a, a fear of how will people want to come to work and are they willing to come to work? And those are two very different questions. 
Tom, what are your clients telling you as it relates to maybe the CEOs you spoke to just yesterday about the election? How are they thinking about kind of weighing the pluses and minuses of a Trump versus a Biden uh, administration? Well, the interesting thing was is that, you know, for, for the past five months, the, the majority of CEOs have said, you know, we feel that if Biden wins, there'll be a short-term hit on the stock market and thus the economy. And if Trump wins, while they don't approve, and almost to a, to a person, they don't approve of his behavior, but they think that it'll keep their business going and keep their employees employed. Now, there was an article that showed uh, the other day that said that if Biden wins, that that means that the government will keep putting a surplus of funds out from the Fed and the Treasury, and that will keep the economy going while maybe a bit superficially. So I actually saw yesterday or heard yesterday in the, the CEO roundtable I was, I was a part of that they're actually more bullish on a Biden presidency than they were three months ago. Can I ask about restaurant workers? Are we seeing any, any shift upwards in the amount of restaurant workers that, you know, may have been hired through La Salle, for example? I mean, I know obviously a lot of people just went back to where they had been working, but uh, what can you tell about indoor dining in places like New York and how that's impacting things? Yeah, so we, we don't place people in the restaurants, but what we have seen is, for for example, our call center practice, which has moved to almost all virtual, where our clients will put let people be in call centers virtually in their home. And we've been seeing people who were restaurant workers moving into those roles. Now, obviously, they're rolling back in over the summer with outdoor dining in New York and Chicago and, and other city, major metropolitan cities. Um, the, the challenge in that, is and I was talking to at the end of last week uh, a couple very large restaurant owners and they were saying that if if it doesn't get to be more than 75% there's absolutely no way they can handle a winter and if the restaurants do close down um you're going to see a huge spike in unemployment in the service just like we had in March and April it's going to be it's going to be the exact same thing on the on the restaurant side as it was and as the winter months come you're going to see less automobile travel for vacations and you'll see it in the hotel side too now coincidentally the good thing is coming into the holiday season with amazon with target you're going to have holiday shopping so there will be jobs in warehouse in distribution centers and things like that and people will just have to pivot and go from being uh servers and waiters and bartenders to being in warehouses and picking and packing uh, for the holidays. So, Tom, is there any regional variations that you're seeing in your data here, certain parts of the country doing better or worse than others? No, what we're seeing is, is there, there, there is a, a little bit of red state, blue state. And south of the Mason-Dixon line where the weather stays warmer and the hospitality uh, workers are, are going to be able to work outside longer, um, that it's doing really well. Uh, in, in Alabama, the bars just don't, restaurants just opened again. And so you have that situation and where you've got, um, in more of the, the quote unquote blue states and blue governors and mayors that it's a little bit more restrictive and you're seeing people. Now, what is, what is going to happen? I was, I was with, uh, a private equity, uh, uh, partner the other day and they were saying, you know, the restaurants will shut down, but 18 to 24 months from now, you're going to get a lot of entrepreneurial opportunities where people are going to go in and take over those vacated uh, restaurant spaces at lower rates and reopen. And so, you know, the, the economy will bounce back. 
and maybe even at a higher level, but it may take two or three years for that to happen. And there's going to be some there's going to be some bodies buried around because of uh, of the economic uncertainty. You know, we saw today that younger people actually saw a bit of a boost in this jobs report, 18 to 24, for example, presumably because they're cheaper and so on. In terms of age groups, what have you been seeing, you know, coming in to LaSalle or calling LaSalle? And, and what yeah. have you been seeing requested from LaSalle? Absolutely. So what we see a lot is recent college grads called zero to three years out of college. And you're exactly right. The wages have been driven down in this economy. And people who want to work, especially remotely, are going to take less money to work remotely than having to go into the office. And we've seen a spike there. The other thing we've seen is that uh, senior manager and executive level is our contract business of people who will do three to six month engagements that previously were only looking for uh, quote unquote permanent jobs are willing to do three to six month contracts now. And you know, that, that profiles usually late 40s to 60 year old uh, uh, folks who are willing to do more short-term positions at an executive level versus holding out because no one knows how long it's going to be and they don't want to be, uh, they don't want to be the last person standing when the music stops. Hey, Tom, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Tom Gimble, founder and CEO of LaSalle Network. We appreciate your thoughts. Let's talk about the potential uh, handoff of power, even on a temporary basis, should President Trump fall ill to this COVID-19. We welcome Josh Green, Bloomberg Businessweek national correspondent. Josh, thanks so much for joining us here. Tell us what you know as to, to the extent that the president were to become hospitalized, how this might play out to the extent there might need to be some temporary uh, handover of, of, of power and responsibilities. Well, we actually did a big story in Business Week about what would happen if the president tested positive for COVID back in May and talked to all the constitutional experts then, a lot of former White House advisors. Uh, and there are two ways that transfer that power could be transferred under the 25th Amendment. Um, the first, and this is not all that uncommon, is that the president could agree to hand over control of the vice president temporarily. Um, this happened twice under the George W. Bush administration while President Bush was go- undergoing medical procedures. It happened during the Reagan administration once. Uh, it's not all that unusual. Um, The other way in which power could be transferred is if Trump were stricken suddenly or had to be sedated uh, for intubation. Uh, In that case, if he he didn't voluntarily hand over power, uh, the 25th Amendment allows for the vice president and the cabinet to execute that transfer of presidential power. So, uh, you know, from what little we've heard from the White House about the president's condition, it doesn't seem as if right now that's something that's coming into play. But in the event that his symptoms worsen, uh, and it could. He could either do it on his own uh, or his cabinet and vice president could do it for him. Now, what happens if a president contests the finding that he's incapable of carrying out his duties, Josh? Can he contest it and win? Well, it's, it's not really clear. I mean, we haven't we haven't been in this situation before. Um, I mean, there is a clear constitutional line of succession. Uh, if Trump were uh, incapacitated or unable to fulfill the duties of his office, whether he thought so or not, cabinet and the vice president could vote and decide to take those powers away to transfer them to Vice President Pence. If, uh, however, Trump and Pence both were to be stricken with a virus and incapacitated, uh, the next in line in constitutional succession is House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, a Democrat, of course. Uh, very unlikely, I think, that that would happen. But if we do wind up down that path, this is when constitutional experts say that things get very, very tricky because the Constitution does not define 
uh, what constitutes a president's inability to do a job, to do the job. So some of the experts I talked to have said, you know, that raises a scenario where Trump and Pence could both be sick with the virus. Pelosi could declare them incapacitated in herself as president, uh, while Republicans in the White House might argue, no, they're, they're still capable of fulfilling their duties. Wow. Uh, and in that case, you wind up with a full-blown constitutional crisis that would probably be, be settled in court. But it's worth, it's worth stipulating. So far, uh, president Mike, uh, Vice President Mike Pence uh, has tested negative, the White House is saying. Yes. And Josh, it appears to, I, I guess at least to me, that Vice President Pence has a good, uh, strong relationship with President Trump. Is that in fact the case? Is there a sense that if there were to be a transfer of power, at least temporarily, that Vice President Pence is generally well-versed in much of the the issues facing the president uh, during his uh, term? Well, I think uh, Pence has shown himself willing to subordinate uh, himself to Trump's desires pretty much no matter what they are. And so you wouldn't imagine that Pence would make some sort of power grab against Trump's wishes. Um, but, but certainly there are, are not implausible scenarios under which uh, Trump has to be uh, sedated or uh, undergo some kind of a medical procedure, whether it's intubation, something like that where Pence and the cabinet might feel that it's in the best interest of, of Trump and the country to temporarily transfer that power. Uh, but this, this isn't something that we've, we've seen before. All previous transfers of power um, for medically related reasons tended to be things like colonoscopies and things that could be scheduled, predicted, and agreed to well in advance, whereas this situation seems much more fluid. What do you imagine campaigning will look like between now and the election, Josh? I mean, if President Trump is, you know, quarantining and isolating, in fact, more than quarantining because he has a definite diagnosis. And if the former vice president continues to test negative, presumably he can keep campaigning. Will he take the opportunity to campaign way more than he was ever expecting to? Uh, the vice president? Uh, it, it's a good question. I mean, we don't know whether or not he will uh, quarantine. I mean, he's certainly been exposed to the president as recently as Tuesday, his office said. Um, you know, Hope Hicks, the president's close advisor, tre- uh, tested positive on Thursday. Uh, so it's not entirely certain that Vice President uh, Pence is out of the clear. And I would, I would think that until that were definitively established that he wouldn't be out campaigning. Um, I don't know uh, in a campaign sense whether whether Mike Pence is quite the draw that Donald Trump is, but in theory, uh, if he continues to test negative, he could go out and do some kind of in-person campaigning. As far as Trump, my guess is that uh, he will be even more active on Twitter since that's really, uh, I think, the only venue he has left if he's quarantined at the White House. So, Josh, the president has been very public in terms of being out there for his campaign uh, rallies and so on, including last night uh, here in New Jersey. Um, what have you heard from the White House about you know, some of the, that, those issues? Uh, the White House hasn't said anything about uh, Trump continuing to campaign, uh, just that he's tested positive, that he is showing mild symptoms, and he's quarantined in the White House. Uh, the White House chief of staff, Mark Meadows, came out a few minutes ago. Uh, said that it confirmed that Trump is exhibiting symptoms, uh, said he expects other White House staff to test positive. So uh, it's hard to imagine a scenario in which Donald Trump is out in person on the campaign trail 
any time in the next two weeks. Josh, I mean, you can't answer this, obviously, but it will be interesting to see if the president continues to tweet or if his phone gets taken away, because, I mean, it probably wouldn't be a good idea if people started looking at Twitter and how often he tweets. And then if one day he tweets less, you know, people will jump to all sorts of conclusions. It's very important for people around him to sort of keep him in control these days, right? I think so. I mean, one of the one of the ongoing complaints about Donald Trump in the White House from friends and foes alike that he spends too much time on Twitter, too much time tweeting. Uh, I think now we're in a condition where all the experts I've talked to said that what's what's most important is to establish who is commander in chief and that that person is you know out there alert and capable of doing the job. Uh, and so in that sense, I think there might be some some, some reassurance if Trump were uh, to tweet and sort of tweet as himself uh, and assure people, assure markets that, you know, he is he is still in, in, in charge, he's still in control, uh, he's still occupying the Oval Office, and that these issues of constitutional succession don't need to come into play. I think I do think that that would offer uh, a reassurance. And so we'll, we'll have to do what uh, I and, and every other White House reporter does and just sort of keep our eyes on Twitter to see whether or not the president tweets and what it is that he has to say. Josh Green, thanks so much. We appreciate that. As always, Josh Green, Bloomberg Businessweek, a national correspondent. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Bonnie Quinn. I'm on Twitter at Bonnie Quinn. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.